You're listening to the Look Right Naked podcast. I'm your host, Eric Bach. This is the podcast for men and women who want to look right naked without living in the gym. If that sounds like you, then you're in the right place. Let's dive in. Hey, what is going on? Eric Bach here with my good friend, Ben Johnson. Ben is the coach that cooks. And today we're going to talk about how to develop some cooking skills to help you look right naked without living in the gym. But as all stories should begin, we like to begin at the very start. Ben and I connected, it's hard to believe, about 10 years ago in a fitness business mastermind via John Romanello. And shortly after that point, as it kind of goes on the internet, you kind of meet people um, on the internet and then eventually you meet them in person. Like, are they the same person? Are they weird? Are they cool? And Ben happened to be one of those people who was exponentially even more cool than he appears online. And, um, you know, this was when I was living back in Denver. He was coming through, I believe, for a day on a cross-country drive. Yeah, it was. Uh, I was moving, so so yeah, everything was packed yeah. up in my car. I was moving across the country and made it through Denver. Yeah, and so we made our way over to the yard house in uh, the Denver Tech Center area, and we demolished some great food, including two orders of candied bacon. And if you break bread and start a friendship really over candied bacon. I think it's pretty much unbreakable at that point. And it's a strong uh, is one of those. Exactly, it really is. And you're one of those naturally, you know, charismatic people and like you're truly compassionate, caring, you know, both about friends and family, but also the people that you serve. And that's why I'm really excited to have you on. So Ben, welcome. Thank you, man. I, I mean, that means a lot. It's also fun just thinking back the nostalgia of it because that feels like yesterday and a lifetime ago all at the same time, which is wild. Uh, but yeah, it's, I, I really appreciate those words. That was, that was kind, heartwarming. Of course. Well, Ben, speaking of beginnings and journeys, I think the best thing to get started on is to hear about your journey really into fitness because we come from different paths. And I think it's really important to really understand how fitness itself is. People come from many different origins and have different struggles, but understanding the key principles to transforming your body into optimizing your health. When you understand those principles, it doesn't matter where you come from. You can still apply them, right? And so Definitely. what got you involved in terms of improving your own health, improving right. your fitness? Well, it's, it's funny because... Not only are we different, I would say to an extent we're almost opposite. I did not really have an athletic upbringing. Like I played sports, but I would not say that I was super athletic. I was like the natural chubster growing up. And eventually it came time where I was like, this isn't really working for me. I want to break free of that. And, and that really started in earnest. I mean, I sort of, you know, would do like crunches in my bedroom in high school and hope for the best. But like, I really started actually doing things consistently when I got to college. And I was like, hmm, I think my social calendar would probably be more exciting if I looked a bit different than I currently look. So it was, it was an interesting kind of like the impetus was kind of interesting. It was just, I was a natural chubster who always felt like I would gain weight looking at a piece of chocolate cake. In some ways, I would be jealous of the the people like you that I knew that it was like, it doesn't matter what they do for you. It was hard to gain size for me. It was all too easy to gain size. So it's just like, I was, I was a naturally uh, chubby kid that used to think that you could not eat food if you wanted to be fit. And then obviously over the course of actually learning fitness, um, learned that that is definitely not the case, which, which is nifty, but essentially it started early on in college being like, well, I don't like where I'm at. I want to change that. And then developing the skill set and the knowledge to actually make those changes take place. It was a transformative experience, but not just like for how I like how I looked physically, though that obviously was a nice cherry on top. The biggest transformation is what happened internally and how it changed me and the confidence and, and all of that sort of jazz, like that internal game of fitness. And so at that point, it was like, okay, well, I want to help other people do that because it's so much more than like what is in the mirror. That's how I got into not just being an enthusiast, but doing it professionally. Yeah, that's a great story. You know, and I love, again, hearing that we came from different beginnings, yet many times, even if people come from different beginnings, 
it stems from the same underlying kind of root thing, whether we're not happy with the way that we look, the confidence that we have as a result. Um, it could be understanding that our health isn't optimized. We're not happy with our performance in some way. And it comes from a lot of times it comes from feeling like there's something missing, right? And fitness can teach us so many lessons across the board, which is why we, we always say fitness is a force multiplier that help bleed over and impacts every other area of your life. Um, one thing you had mentioned specifically was, you know, having this thought that like, listen, I can't really eat good food if I want to be in shape, right? And this is something a lot of people struggle with and it makes it impractical for them to really build and And when you were just getting started, like what type of things did you try? Did you start to have a, a toxic, so to speak, relationship with food? Like tell me a little, yeah. bit more than well, that. I basically, well, so I've always been someone who is naturally in love with food. I just find it fun. I think food is like the ultimate connector. I didn't necessarily articulated in that way when I was like a teenage kid or early on in college, but I've always loved food and how it connects people. And like, you know, whether it's catching up with a friend over lunch or a first date or how cultures all like we all eat. Right. So I just think food is this really unique way that we all connect. And it's an awesome thing in that regard. It also just like tastes good and is fun and all of that sort of jazz celebratory, whatever. Yeah. But I think I lost sight of that so much because I was like, well, I want to be fit and to be fit, I have to do all of these things. It's a bummer. I don't think I even have many photos from during this time because I guess technology was different enough that it wasn't all posted on Instagram. It was, it would have been like yeah. you know, 2008, 2009. I was excited with the progress I was making and I was maybe taking some photos, but I, I, like, it's hard to find those. Maybe if I found some like old computer, I could maybe find them, which I think would be funny to look at. Cause I don't think, I don't, I don't think I was doing things that were sustainable. Well, I know I wasn't cause I didn't sustain them. Um, cause I ended up having to like, oh, something's got to give. Right. Um, but yeah, I did so many different things, whether it was like incredibly strict intermittent fasting or avoiding carbs because they're bad. All of these different things that I did with a level of restriction and intensity, I was able to do. And for whatever reason, I've always been someone that like, if I have a goal I'm fired up about, I can flip the switch and I can get really dialed in. But that became all of it. So I was avoiding the things that I've always loved, be it you know, indulgent foods or just like fun foods or doing social things that involve foods, cooking fun stuff. I was avoiding that. And I was, I guess, telling myself that mixing protein powder with almond butter was ice cream and pretending that that made me happy. And it, it didn't like, so I was, I was like, I, I got very lean, but I was missing out on a lot along the way. Yeah, totally. And, and one thing you mentioned in there is like, we all do connect on food. I think that's something that people lose sight of. Um, I get it. If you're trying to step on stage and get judged by the striations in your butt cheeks, like that's one thing, if you want to completely burn the boats and live on chicken, rice and broccoli, but for the vast yeah, there's a time and a place, food, right? It is. It is. And I like how you mentioned, you know, you can get really dialed in, you know, for a time period, if you've got a goal, like that's an excellent skill to have. I think one of the issues that people run into with fitness is they conflate the ideas of what people do when they're kind of peaking for a physique or a photo shoot, you know, especially based on all the things we see on social media, um, where really people are peaked for about 12 hours and they feel absolutely miserable the entire time. People think that that's a normal and two, that those strategies that they use at the end are how they get there in the first place. Yeah. And it couldn't be anything further from the reality. Um, you know, I was speaking with a client about this the other day and I'm like, listen, the only time I get super strict with a meal plan and get like precise with counting macros is if I'm doing a photo shoot and I can do it about four to six weeks before I lose my mind or it's not practical and sustainable for the other things that I enjoy in life because 
I enjoy cooking. I enjoy yep. entertaining. I enjoy doing these other components as well. And I think ultimately we have to review and make a decision. What is X, Y, and Z result that we're trying to accomplish with fitness? What is it worth sacrificing? With that sacrifice, then it comes down to, okay, well, do I have to completely sacrifice it? Or can I learn a new set of skills that can help me enjoy these things and enjoy them a little bit more in balance? And so tell me a bit more about your journey as a chef, about the coach that cooks. Yeah. I mean, that's been an interesting thing in its own right, because I've always enjoyed cooking. And in, in, in a weird way, it kind of was in tandem with fitness, though not intentionally, because I started getting into fitness when I was a freshman in college, and I happened to live in a dorm that had a kitchen. Um, so it meant I was cooking for myself. So like, not only was I taking responsibility over my fitness, but I wasn't living at home. I didn't have home-cooked meals on the regular. So I had to take responsibility for what I was eating more as well and discovered like, oh, hey, this is really fun for me. And it's, it's interesting because I have no like formal training whatsoever. All I've really done is watched a lot of videos on the internet over and over, watched a lot of TV that involves cooking. And I have a good memory, I guess, or at least the things that I find interesting, I remember. And and so I have you know yeah. a, a Rolodex of different things that I've seen. And after getting more and more reps of putting those things into practice, a lot of them started to become second nature. So I, I developed this skill set over time of cooking beyond just, I think, the average person making food for themselves. I always had uh, an inclination to the more finely tuned, like, cohesive dishes, whether that's on a TV show or or even like, oh, I've never seen or heard of that. Let's see if I can find YouTube videos that talk about the complexities of fermentation. It's just like the nerd side of me really went crazy with it, had fun with it. And then obviously cooking is a thing where, I mean, you literally have to eat. So it was, I had kind of in the same way that fitness, you develop the skill set of strength over time, right? I developed the skill set of being able to, to cook over time as well. And I, I leaned into it hard, whereas I, I could have just been like, oh, that's a cool idea and then never done anything with it. But I started playing around, experimenting. I always love cooking for, for friends or family or things like that. It's, it's 100% like a way that I show my love and care for people is making them something fun and delicious. And then it's just kind of, I mean, it's snowballed in some ways, but it's grown from there. Yeah. Well, that's beautiful though to hear it comes from a passion and something that you enjoy. And then really just involving yourself in the process and finding something that you enjoy. I think that's an important lesson really to apply everywhere else in life. You know, I think that a lot of times finding, speaking in forms of activity, you know, there are a lot of different ways to get into shape, right? Like we all have our preferred mechanisms and ways of doing it, but the thing that you enjoy that you're going to stick with consistently and build expertise is going to be the biggest thing. You know, as an example in my life, like, you know, my wife, Lauren, she took up running in her mid twenties and now she's a ranked runner here in the state of like South Carolina. And it's like, she wasn't a competitive runner, you know, going through high school or through college. I mean, she played some soccer in, in high school, but like beyond that, it was a form of activity that she likes and she just got more and more into it in the way that it made her feel. And now she's just developed into, you know, borderline becoming fairly elite at this particular skill set. And it's completely different from the way that I prefer to train, right? She right. wants to run a marathon. I'm like, I'll run to the mailbox or run to the yeah, bridge. Yeah. That's about it, you know? And so, you know, I think it's beautiful when you can find a type of activity, um, whether it's fitness related, whether it is cooking and really double down on that aspect of it. Um, I think it's also great, you know, cooking, and this is more of a personal experience, but there is an artistic sense to it. Hundred you know, percent. It's like you have to be fully present with it. I mean, you got to make sure I don't cut my fingers off and I'm chopping onions, whatever it is. <laughs> and, and for a lot of people, I think it can be a way to decompress. Yeah, and I mean, it's almost meditative in, in that sense. You're you're like you're in the moment. There's actually it's not even in the movie, but the movie Chef uh, that John Favreau like food truck movie. 
um, they had Roy Choi, who was popular. Basically, the movie is a nod to what Roy Choi actually did in real life with his taco food truck, Korean taco fusion stuff in L.A., and it popped off in a real special way because of Twitter. So they kind of give that a nod in the movie itself. And he was the like chef consultant for the movie, which, you know, rightfully so. And there's a clip, I think it's actually shown during the credits of the movie, where Roy is walking Jon Favreau through making the grilled cheese, and he's just talking through how it's done. And he's talking about how nothing else in the world exists except this right here. And I think that's the that's what's cool. Like, you have to be present. It's, it's meditative, and then it, it's not just meditative, but like you said, it's also creative. And I grew up playing music. That was, uh, I, I had a handful of different creative outlets, but music was the one that I, I spent the most time on. I was in like a band. We were like trying to get a record deal in Hollywood. I grew up in the LA area. So it was like, we'd go down, play shows in Hollywood, teenage kids. It was, it was a fun experience, uh, but the creative outlet became cooking. And I always compare it, like I enjoyed playing like jazz and stuff where I could improvise, I played bass. So I, where I could improvise a bass line over chord changes, that was what I was all about. And that's essentially what cooking is, because when you understand the basic principles and the things that, that create a tasty dish, you can play around within those confines. Whereas baking, I feel like is a, a bit more like classical music or, or chemistry for that matter, where it's like, hey, if you play with this too much, you're going to ruin the whole thing. Um, so it's a little yeah. bit more specificity. And for me, there's a lot of room for artistic and creative expression in cooking. And so around that time that I got to college and got into fitness and started cooking for myself was also the time where I was doing less and less with music because there was just other stuff happening in life. So cooking and food kind of, it was a passing of the baton, so to speak. So it went from music being that creative outlet to more food and cooking being that creative outlet. And it, I guess, scratched the same itch internally and then also provided that decompression, that meditation, like you mentioned, where it's just like long day, I can sit there's something satisfying and calming about just dicing an onion, especially if you're not cutting your fingers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And you know, one, uh, one wonderful thing I, I believe about this and just knowing you and seeing your evolution as a coach as well is you leaned into something that was very personal for you and you didn't have the idea of like, I'm just going to turn this into like a fitness or like a, a marketing thing. You're simply exploring a passion of yours and taking people on that journey. And I think that's a really important thing because listen, ultimately in fitness, there are only so many ways that you can lose fat, build muscle, lose slight adjustments in terms of tweaks and methods and the way that you know things are communicated. But by you sharing your unique expertise and being able to weave that directly into the way that you help people, it makes you stand out. You know, like how many fitness coaches do you see that are out there, you know, who one really know their nuts and bolts when it comes to helping people transform their lives, but also can really show you how to cook and develop you know, cooking skills and make some great meals with things that we have around the house like you do. Yeah. Not a good question there, just a hat tip, you know? Well, thank you. And it's honestly kind of been by accident because I wasn't thinking, it, it's funny because I read um, like So Good They Can't Ignore You, I think is where Cal Newport talks about like career capital and things like that. I accidentally, I suppose, built this very unique overlap of career capital in a very specific realm where like, yeah, obviously I was doing fitness, but then I was doing this thing almost just like for fun on the side. But then it, it wound up that they overlapped in a in a very perfect way, which has been unique because obviously fitness, like you're saying, it's the same like five or six things over and over. There's nothing that interesting about that. But being able to it's why I do less and less like training like i used to do online coaching programs and do training for people all the time i've done less and less of that over time and now it's really more just focused on nutrition and food and i i do more programming with people or coaching with people where i'm helping them in the kitchen in a tactical sense with food 
as I, I do more of that than I do of like, all right, well, you should do you know, a few sets of this or that or the other. And it's been an interesting evolution, but it's been just kind of tugging at the thread of the stuff that has, has been most interesting and fun to to do on my end. And it's created this really unique overlap of food and fitness where there really aren't that many people existing in that unique way. No doubt. No doubt. It's been it's been really cool to see, you know, from afar, knowing you personally and to see the way that that goes. And, you know, I think one of the most important skills that people can develop is the ability to cook. And think of, you know, think of society, you know, just generations ago. I mean, talking, we're going way back. Goal of the day was to have fun, not get eaten by a saber-toothed tiger, find something to eat, prepare it, and go around. You know, like that's that's really what it was. And over time, we've gotten so busy, busier and busier food becomes more convenient. I see more and more people kind of entering the world, especially as adults, so to speak, like, you know, getting out of college and into young adulthood, and they do not have any baseline levels for how to cook or understanding nutrition, you know, at a, even a rudimentary level. And so they lean heavier on highly processed foods on things that are, you know, very quick and convenient, add in incredibly stressful work environments. It becomes something where, because we don't develop this baseline skill in cooking, that people set forth a lot of eating habits that can be very difficult to break. And so sure. when you're working with people, what type of cooking skills do you first emphasize? Like how do you kind of reduce some of the friction if you've got somebody who has never really cooked a whole lot for themselves? I think the biggest thing is just like the fundamentals, right? Like just basic skills. And like you were, you know, tongue in cheek, joking about accidentally cutting a finger off. But like that is a very real thing. Knife skills are an actual thing. And it's uh, the way I like to think of it sometimes is if you think of it like typing. If you're typing emails all day for work and your words per minute were to double, you're getting through your work twice as fast. And suddenly work is going much smoother than it used to. And most people get to a level of proficiency with both typing and cooking skills where they're like, well, this is good enough. I don't need to be better. And that's fine. But there are small things. Like if someone is properly using a knife and, you know, whether they're breaking down onions or whatever, if you're using the knife properly, your level of worry for hitting your fingertip is is minimal. It means you're able to not necessarily move super fast like, you know, like you see on TikTok or whatever, but just being more efficient in the process of cooking. If you're able to get better at the skills needed to put food together, even something quick and simple, you can put together a meal that is satisfying and delicious relatively quickly. So those baseline skills, I think are a really good jumping off point. And then also the just baseline understanding of, because I think a lot of people get stuck in recipes, right? Where they, they followed a recipe, yeah. but recipes don't pe help people learn how to cook. They just teach people how to follow instructions. And it's that whole, like give a man a fish versus teaching a man to fish thing. Recipes are great at giving away fish, but it means you never actually learn the skills of what's happening. Helping people break down recipes, even like classic family recipes that they love, looking at them more as these are the components and this is like the, the practical function of each thing. Like this is adding acidity, this is adding, you know, salinity or salt or like what is this functionally achieving in the recipe we're, we're doing? Because then that opens up the ability to kind of like those musical chord changes, right, to improvise. So now we understand like, oh, well, the reason why this is there is for X, Y, and Z. I maybe don't have that specific thing on hand, but I have this, that, and the other that could capture the same thing. And then it just starts creating the ability for people to play around more, which I think lends itself to, I mean, creativity, yes, but also just practicality. If you're in the kitchen and you only have these things, okay, this is how you can make that work because you're understanding the concepts. And then I think the, the fundamentals of just like good knife skills, understanding, I guess, what cooking techniques are going to be your friend if you're short on time. Things like roasting, 
pretty low low level i mean that's why air frying is basically roasting but in a smaller thing that heats up faster there's a reason why that is as popular as it is because it's simple and it's you know relatively labor free and you can lean into the things that that save you time like yes doing a long-term sous vide and reverse sear on a steak can be delicious but it's it's usually quicker and simpler to just pan sear it and get good at how it I mean, depends on the thickness and whatnot but getting good at understanding like this is all i have to do to have a solid dinner and just putting that into action. Like it's, I think it's simpler than a lot of people think because we get bogged down by recipes. Yeah, in a very similar way, <clears throat> I believe people get bogged down by complex training programs, thinking mm -hmm. that's what they need before they master a lot of the basic aspects. Well, and even so, to that point, it's like you have someone with terrible imbalance, like you were saying before, who has been accustomed to these high convenience, highly simple, highly processed foods oftentimes, where it's just like they haven't necessarily trained the muscle. It's someone who just can't activate their glutes. And once you get to the point where you can activate your glutes, everything goes smoother. You're able to be stronger in your performance and, and you don't need complex training programs to get a lot out of your training. You know, it reminds me of when I first see somebody squat for the first time. And this is something I explain to my clients when I'm doing a, like a movement breakdown. The first time you see somebody do a back squat, like with a bar in the back of the never done it before, they look like a drunk baby giraffe. <laughs> legs are all over the place, like no coordination, everything's all over the map, right? And it's like, until we get that coordination dialed in and get your brain to calm down, there's no point in adding load. There's no point in trying to add speed. There's no point in trying to add complexity. Essentially, what we're talking about here is motor learning. And the basic idea of motor learning is like, at first we have, we have unconscious incompetence. We don't even know that we stink at something, right? <laughs> then right. we start to get a little bit better. We start to learn about it. Then we have conscious incompetence. We're like, hey, I know I'm not good at this thing, but I need to start working on improving it. Eventually, we get to the point where we have, you know, we have conscious competence where, listen, we're doing it and we're thinking about it. So this is like, okay, I'm doing my squat. I need to control down in three seconds. I need to push my knees out, keep my heels flat and drive up. Or it could be, I need to actually you know, bend my fingers and make sure I'm not cutting them off directly. Right, right. And finally, where we want to get though in the skill development, and this applies to any skill you want to develop, is what we call our unconscious competence. Meaning you don't even have to think about doing the right thing. And so, for example, when you're in the gym and you get to that place, you're like dial in, your technique is perfect. And then you can start to think about, okay, now I want to engage my quads. Now I want to, you know, squeeze my glutes at the top of the movement. We can get very dialed in with these little things that take a very simple exercise and allow you to get very complex results. In a similar light, cooking is the same way. Like at first we just don't know anything. And then we start to learn that we don't know very much at all. And then we have to consciously get involved in it. And it takes a little bit of time to go from that conscious competence to unconscious incompetence. But with the knife skill, like you mentioned, like once you get to that point, I mean, all of a sudden it takes somebody, you know, from like five minutes for dicing an onion, just as a simple example to like, they're done in 17 seconds, maybe not that fast, but all of a sudden the barrier to cooking healthy food and to knowing what to do and having that creativity, it shrinks down from being so overwhelmed. You don't even want to consider it to like, you can whip up a really good meal in 20, 25 minutes for your family. I just think it's all so much simpler than people make it out to be both the, the food and the cooking stuff, but also training and fitness. It's like, I think, I don't know, blame the internet, I guess, but like, there's all these different things floating around all over and people think that's what I have to do. So it, yeah, it's just all of this stuff is so much simpler than it needs to be. And then what's tricky is a lot of the time, whether it's a cool training program or even, you know, a cooking video you might see on the internet, those are people that are operating in that unconscious space. Like you're talking about, those are professionals who have done this over and over again. And oftentimes when you're operating in that sort of unconscious space, it's hard to articulate what you're actually doing. I found that for me, there was a while where I was trying to put out recipe videos 
But I was like, I'm just like handing people fish, going back to that analogy, handing people fish, not really yeah. teaching them how to fish. And it's hard to do that in a recipe video because I've already fine tuned the recipe. It is what it is. Whereas if I cook with people in a more hands-on way, I'm able to be like, oh, this is what we're doing. And I realize that maybe doesn't make sense to you. Here's why we're doing this thing the way that we're doing it. I've seen that that helps people a lot more. That's hard to put into a 30-second reel or short video. Like that just doesn't work in that format, but it works really well for actually teaching principles. And that's why, you know, working with someone in a coaching perspective from a fitness, uh, on the fitness side of things, but also even with this food stuff, it's it hands-on is it allows us to actually tap into the unconscious like oh oh yeah and then you know you have the the interesting cues like in a deadlift okay spread the floor or whatever sorts of things that are part of that unconscious and kind of helping articulate it so that someone can actually learn the skills rather than just be overwhelmed by seeing some oh someone did some crazy thing on a bosu ball that must be good right and it's like well maybe but maybe not you know that's one of the hardest things i think for everybody with consuming content, creating content these days, right? Like the way that many social media platforms are organized right now, it, it's all about kind of generating the click and keeping people on a platform, which meant, which in many cases means very short form, which gives people tidbits and small surface level tactics and ideas. But I think what happens is people, and this is food, nutrition, everything, people build a lot of surface level knowledge without a foundational understand, understanding of how something applies. And because of it, People start to feel like I've tried everything. Nothing works for me. I know a lot, but nothing is working for me. And without being able to like really go deep and understanding some of the underlying aspects, it's like trying to learn Spanish by picking out words from the dictionary without learning like tenses and, and all these different aspects that are unique to a particular language. And so people end up incredibly frustrated with this entire process. And that's why I love, you know, your style of breaking it down and like, let's get to the fundamental pieces because when you understand these and you can learn to apply them, then you develop a skill set to find what's going to be unique to you. Just like there's a unique movement pattern, for example, a squat as a movement pattern, but you might not be able to back squat. You could probably front squat or do a box squat or do a goblet squat or do a hack squat. Any right. one of these but you never know unless you understand the foundational piece of why we would want to do this movement in the first place. And so getting back to the fundamentals of learning how to cook and learning how to prepare food and like what goes into different flavor profiles, it's one of the best things that you could potentially do for your health. And frankly, probably connecting with those that you care most about. Um, because I mean, I've met a lot of humans in 34 years. I haven't met any that doesn't, that do not enjoy food. I, I can think of one person that food was not his thing. And it was because and I've never heard of this ever since so it was super unique or he just like pulled a fast one on me um but he had it was i can't remember what it was called like i wish i knew the science of it better but he basically had no sense of smell so he didn't really taste things so he liked or disliked oh, food sense. based on texture purely because he couldn't taste it and he was like yeah i kind of don't care and i was like that makes sense but that's the only person i've ever met that doesn't have some connection to food and i would say that he still does it's just a very different connection than most people because he's just like yeah, I like or dislike something purely based on texture, which is wild to me. Um, but but yeah, it's just most people like food or they like a certain type of food at least. And I know we were talking a bit before we officially started, but I made it up to Wisconsin for the first time ever somewhat recently. And I had good like quality fried cheese curds and it was a thing of beauty. I can understand why Wisconsin's get so fired up about them. Whereas I've had them at random places. There was like a Culver's I went to once and it was like, oh, okay, they were fine. It was exactly what I expected. And then this was like a transcendent experience. And all it was was cheese <laughs> that was fried, but it was magical. So like everyone has, or, or Sundrop, a buddy of mine from Wisconsin was like, oh, while you're there, you got to get some Sundrop. So I had some Sundrop too, but there are these things that we care about deeply because it's just part of who we are as people. 
so yeah, everyone loves food. Yeah, no doubt. And I'm glad you went for the cheese curds. It's always a great experience. I try to make sure I get them uh, every time I get back home. So always a good time. When you're working with people and you're going through this process, like what is your typical, like what would a nutritional protocol, so to speak, look like? I mean, are you going meal by meal? Are you focusing like, Hey, these are like three square meals that we want to get. We want to get consistent with, um, Let's kind of break down that nutritional philosophy a little bit, and then we can dig deeper into the cooking and preparation side. Sure. So I think big picture, what I like doing with people is having them start off with macros, but not so much because macros make a difference. They kind of don't matter, but it's so that people are paying attention to what's in what they're eating. Because essentially, we need to pay attention so we can build awareness, and then awareness leads us to be able to take specific action towards whatever outcomes we want to achieve. So if someone's eating and don't know what's happening, well, it's hard to actually make a difference. So we'll pay attention. And for some people, that phase of tracking macros and having specific macro related goals could last for a while. For some people, it might be on the shorter end. It kind of just depends on that individual, their needs. A lot of people are kind of overcoming chronic dieters mindset. And I found with with Mm -hmm. that type of person, tracking is usually actually more harmful than helpful because they have all these ideas in their mind, like, well, I shouldn't eat that. It has 25 carbs. I'm like, yeah, but you can eat 175 in the day. Like, what are you freaking out about a bowl of oatmeal for? Like, hold on. And so like, I found for certain people tracking can actually be counterproductive, but that's getting more into the nitty gritty. I usually start people off with tracking for the sake of building that awareness. And then, you know, just making sure we're building meals around protein and plants. So if about like 50% of the plate is filled up with plants, about 25 to 33-ish percent of the plate filled up with protein um, is a solid foundation. And then from there, it's stuff that's either going to be like filling, satisfying, or fun to, to fill out and round out the rest of the meal if it, you know, if it feels like, oh, I, I might not be full on that. But, you know, and I, I think worth reminding people, potatoes are plants. Uh, you know, for whatever reason, people like to think that potatoes are, are bad because I guess they, they're starchy. But no, they're still plants. Uh, so like filling up a plate with like delicious, nutritious filling foods like that usually is like the, the framework we, we work upon. Uh, depending on the person and their goals, they might have some specific macros that we have specific goals around. And then over time, I mean, that's, that's what coaching is, right? You just meet people where they're at and help them move one or two steps forward from there. So over time, what the macros and the tracking and the paying attention does is just shine a light on the habits and behaviors that need changing. And that's really, but that's what matters. That's where the work is. It's with the habits and behaviors. So like macros are just, the way I talk about it with people all the time is macros are the way we like sight in the rifle. So you get to the range, you pull up you fire away. It's like, oh, I was high into the right of the target. And now we can adjust accordingly and work on habits and behaviors to make those adjustments. But we needed to be aiming for something to be able to figure out what those habits and behaviors are, habits and behaviors are that need adjusting. So it's really just about paying attention so that we can start making, making changes where it matters. And usually it has very little to do with, all right, well, let's bring those carbs down by 10 and keep going. Like that doesn't necessarily make that big of a difference or not as big of a difference as people think. Definitely. I mean, you have so many good points in there. And I think, you know, I'm not a huge personal fan of counting macros for myself. It worked very well for some people. Obviously I've done it. But it does create that awareness. And, you know, one thing we say is like data eliminates drama and it directs our decisions. And a lot of times people look to optimize an aspect of their diet. But again, that rifle isn't sighted in at all. And they're trying to shoot way down range. Even tracking once in life for like 30 days, you learn so much more than you would from, frankly, most nutrition certifications about (laughs) your natural proclivities and the way that you develop food and the way that you eat where it's going to dramatically change the way that you approach nutrition from that point going forward. Because again, we can't optimize something if we don't really know the direction from which it's going. Um, but I love that approach because, you know, one thing with macros in one way that I'll, I'll communicate it as well. My clients like, like macros can be a tool and 
there's kind of a trade-off that you need to consider here, right? And let's say fat loss is the goal. Many times you can eat some, like a stricter form of a meal plan and just have some slight variations off of that. And that way you don't really have to track as long as you're eating within like the guidelines of the sizes and these different aspects, or you can have more flexibility to fit more of your favorite foods in, but you're going to have to really track. Otherwise you're easily going to blow through your calories. And so like one of the hardest things for many people is making that decision because they change is hard. Right. And so it's like mentally when you're looking at like making a new approach, I think with your diet, it's like, which aspect do I want? Do I want to eat some of the same things on repeat? especially if you don't have the skill set in terms of cooking to really being able to navigate them? Or do you want to be able to have the ability to explore a little bit more and eating different foods and having that flexibility, maybe, you know, being fairly regimented early in the day and enjoying a great big meal with your family in the evening, whatever it is, but you might have to track just in order to keep those calories in alignment with where you want to be. Um, and so it's like kind of taking those with each individual person and finding which approach is going to be best. And then, you know, kind of cultivating this awareness and this skill set to help them navigate that, that for themselves. Yeah. One, both of those I would say are like opposite ends of the same spectrum. So like there are countless places in between both of those where someone could land that is going to be ideal and optimal for them. That's so much of what is, I think, frustrating about fitness in a, like in the digital world is because everyone's just painting with a broad brush as if this is how everyone should be doing the things. And it's not, the case like everyone is an individual and everything could potentially work right but it's about what's going to work best for that individual and so like you're talking about some people might respond really really well to having some like basic structure that they follow and they don't have to track and that maybe feels too tedious or too challenging or just impractical because they're a working parent who's juggling and spinning lots of plates and like it's there's a lot going on and trying to get out my fitness pal and track maybe that's not practical and that's fine so they might respond really well to that, but then you might also have someone like myself who wants to go eat random things and try stuff he's never tried before. I also don't have a, like the responsibilities of a family. Like I'm not making dinner for more than myself and sometimes like for, for family or friends and loved ones periodically, but most of the time I'm just here at home doing my thing. So I can, I can play with food. I don't, I don't care if it's I'm going to do something that's a bit more complex to track. It's like, all right, well, sure. I'll just track it. And if it fits in line with my, like I respond well to that other side of the spectrum and countless other people will respond the best to different situations in different scenarios. And like to that point as well, in the future, when I have a family, I will respond to something else. And that'll be my new ideal, the optimal spot for me. It's like where the the goalpost is always changing for everyone. So to pretend like something is universally true is just silly. Yeah, that's one of the toughest things right there. You know, it's like what worked at one point will not work when circumstances change. And a lot of people get stuck trying to force maybe what worked at a different place in their life into what works now. Uh, You know, I get a lot of people who maybe were competitive athletes, uh, many former, you know, figure fitness competitors. And they're like, hey, you know what? Like eight years ago, I was on stage. I was doing this. This is what I ate. Da, 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 da. And it worked really well. And now all of a sudden they've got a different career, a lot more demands, a family, and one of the biggest battles is like being able to understand where you're coming from and like understanding that skill set that you developed, but not staying married to it when it's not practical or sustainable with every other aspect in your life. Because any skill really comes down to your ability to do it consistently. And if the deck is stacked against you being able to be consistent with a particular strat or particular tactic, then you need to focus on potentially a different tactic that still stays in alignment with that strategy. And so talking tactics versus strategy, if you're talking fat loss, the strategy to lose body fat is to eat at a caloric deficit for a prolonged period of time to elicit the desired result, aka fat loss. Now, strategies could be 
you could limit those calories while using intermittent fasting, but keeping food the same. You could change and have a very quote unquote clean eating meal plan where you're eating a caloric deficit just by eating, you know, minimally processed foods. You could be tracking macros. And where a lot of people really get confused is, especially in a world of social media and marketing, it is everyone likes to highlight their unique mechanism, their unique particular tactic and be like, this is the best way to do it. When the reality is it's manipulating any one of these variables to create caloric restriction. And the way that people really develop this own system for themselves is to experiment and building skills like cooking to find out how they can do things consistently for themselves that lead to that desired outcome, AKA completing the strategy or losing body fat. Yeah. Well, it's consistency is what it comes down to. Like all of these different things are different versions of the same exact thing, you know, different situations, like people need to set situationally specific goals for themselves. And I mean that in terms of like the day-to-day -day tactics of the things that they're doing to try to achieve the outcomes they have in mind. So like the process-based goals versus the outcome-based goals. Okay, we wanna lose fat. What are the things that we can do in the day-to-day -to, -day to lose fat? And what are the things that you're going to be able to do consistently enough to elicit that fat loss response? Like it's, it's as simple as that. It gets made out to be complicated because of marketing. Like people need to put an interesting package around the same core principle to make it sound interesting or different or unique, which I don't think is actually helpful. I think that actually causes more people to get confused and bogged down by the made up complexity of fitness when really fitness is very, very simple, challenging to execute upon, but simple. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. You know, it gets so confusing on what you should actually emphasize and focus on in getting that particular result. This feels incredibly overwhelming with all the different things that are out there. Speaking specifically of cooking, what are maybe two or three meals that you recommend most people learn how to cook? Is there any like baseline things that you have them start with? Not anything super specific because who am I to tell you what to eat? Like I have foods that I like, maybe you don't like them. And like plenty of people don't like seafood. I love seafood. I could eat shrimp all day and be a happy camper, but that doesn't mean that somebody else is going to want to have the chili lime shrimp tacos that I like, you know, that I might that make up, dumb. right? Oh, they're, they're, they're tasty. Deglaze the pan with some like guava nectar to get some sweetness in there too. They're, it's, it's good, good. Um, so like, yeah, like, but that doesn't mean everyone's going to like that. So I think instead of, I like thinking of it almost like a, like a plug and play sort of situation. So if we're, if we're going back to that framework of protein and plants that I mentioned before, uh, if we're, if we're thinking okay, about, about half the plate being full of plants and about a quarter to a third of the plate being filled with protein, there are different ways to check that box. And I think having a few go-to examples of a few go-to options of foods that are going to be relatively quick and simple that you can do for that. Maybe it's searing a steak, whether it's something you know fancy like a filet or even something like a sirloin or a New York strip, getting good at just making that quick and simple. And I think people think steak, they think fancy, they think time, but really you can go from having nothing prepared to having a steak dinner ready in like 15 to 20 minutes if you know what you're doing. So that I think is a, a great arrow in the quiver of like quick, simple, tasty <laughs> recipes. Um, but I also think yeah. putting a bunch of root vegetables, whether it's potatoes or carrots or fennel or celery or all sorts of things, a bunch of root vegetables on a big sheet pan, covering up with maybe it's chicken breast, maybe it's chicken thighs, maybe it's skin on bone in, maybe it's not, whatever. But just putting a bunch of that in the oven, usually around 400 to 425 for depending on the size of whatever you're cooking but until it's done. That is a simple go-to thing. 
mostly protein and plants. Like it's setting you up for success and keeping it really simple. So I would say more than specific recipes, it's more about plug and play options. And then what that opens up then and kind of like the next phase of it is like, all right, we have these plug and play options. How can we make them taste more fun and interesting without adding complexity to the baseline recipe? So maybe that's deglazing the pan of the shrimp with a guava nectar to add like, you know, almost like a, a syrupy sauce to the whole experience that goes great with the chili and the lime and all of that jazz. Like, okay, maybe it's something like that. Or maybe it is, well, now we're going to take a bunch of cranberries, like fresh cranberries or dried cranberries, add those to all of the root vegetables where we're roasting all of that chicken and it's going to be more fall vibes. Okay. So that means maybe it'll make sense to have things like rosemary and thyme and sage in there as well. So now we're heading like a very specific flavor direction and it's going to taste interesting and delicious, but the complexity is still just as easy as toss a bunch of stuff in a sheet pan and roast it for 30 ish minutes, depending on what it is you're making. So I think keeping these plug and play options that then open up the opportunity to have fun with different flavors. You can put whatever dry rub you want on the chicken. You can mix it up every day. And and suddenly yeah. you're having variety without a ton of complexity. I love that. And actually, you know, you got me thinking of something that I do on a regular basis. And, you know, I have a variety of different spice rubs. So something like a mesquite. And then I'll have something that could be more of an Asian flavor. It could be I've got something else that's like a fish cure, like a Mediterranean sure. fish cure, something that's heavier based on rosemary. And so I'll take basic foods. I've got steak, I've got a piece of fish, I've got chicken. And based on what we want to have, it could be taking vegetables. So one could be steak burrito, right? So we've got, again, flank steak, boom. Now we have maybe like a taco type seasoning, a blend, a little bit more like a Tex-Mex with some cumin, great. And then we have diced peppers, onions, and then voila, we have most of the formations directly for having tacos, burrito, whatever it is. But we can also take it and we can make it more of just a straight steak. We can reverse sear it. We can sear it. And then we have root vegetables that are roasted in the oven. And then it's more of a kind of a classic meat and potatoes type dish. And by taking these slight adjustments in terms of flavor profiles and keeping things around, you can take very basic foods that frankly will save you a good amount of money when it comes to your grocery bill and slightly adjust what you're doing to have it a very unique skill set. I mean, coming up with different ideas as we think, but like, you know, you can easily take that same skirt steak, cook it up, add some snow peas and some different vegetables in there as well. And pretty soon you have a stir fry. Yep. And so just taking these same basic things and making very slight tweaks and adjustments can have a profound difference in the food that you eat, the quality that it is. And of course, you know, how delicious it can be at the same time. Right. And when it just builds habits, right? If you're in the habit of whether it's flank steak or chicken thighs or whatever it is that you like eating, you get in the habit of buying those same things. We all do, but it doesn't mean it has to taste the same way every time. So you could build a habit around your, your favorite foods or, or like the simple foods or whatever fits your goals best. Like you can just eat the same things on a regular basis, which we all do anyway. We just don't like feeling like it's what we do. I don't know. We all eat like the same, like five to 10 foods often. Yeah. And then we're like, oh, but I want variety. It's like, cool. Well, variety is in the seasonings and spices. And like you're saying, you can play around with all sorts of things. And to take what you're talking about one level higher is just getting to a point where you're comfortable enough with a spice rack that you're just making your own spice blends on the fly. And like, I understand that that's not necessarily something that everyone feels comfortable with right away. And that's totally fine. But like a Chinese five spice is easy to make at home if you have the things that are needed for a Chinese five spice. It also works well and still tastes good if you only have three of them. So you can like play around with these yeah. sorts of things. I've got, so I've got fennel and Sichuan peppercorns. I don't have the rest, but I could use like cinnamon and clove and salt pepper. Like, I could come up with something that would taste close enough to a classic Chinese five spice right now. Like I don't have all of it, but I've got enough of it that I could make a real tasty 
Chinese five star, you could even do that on a seared steak and that's going to be good. And then maybe instead of serving it with, you know, broccoli or root vegetables, you want to have it with some, I don't know, some like noodles and, and toss those in yeah. some sort of like soy sauce or, or whatever. Like there are ways to play with it that are just different versions of the same classic foods, but tasting completely different. And that's, I mean, that's, that's the game. It's challenging. It, it takes some like stepping into the darkness and trying new things. And that's a lot of what I like helping people do is, is walking them through that process, giving them the chance to open up their, their opportunities, their possibilities so that they, they are able to get to that unconscious place. Like you were talking about before where they can walk into the kitchen and just cook. And then it's not even like thinking too much. It's just making good food and, Oh, Hey, look at that. It, it turned out great. It's delicious. Yeah. Delicious. It's like, again, using that squat analogy, you might go in the gym and you can't go in a barbell squat, but there's a dumbbell there. Cool. You can do a dumbbell squat hitting the same movement patterns, a slight variation, and we're still getting the same stimulation that we're looking for in total. Right. So it's yeah. about developing these kind of macro skills that you can take, apply and adjust and make them uniquely your own. Speaking of skills, you were featured on TBS. Tell us Indeed. a little bit more about your experience. Dude, that was wild. Um, well, so for one, it was, it was an email that felt like spam, but it was through, it was clearly from Instagram. Like they found me on Instagram, they send me an email and it seemed like the biggest phishing link scam in the world. I was like, well, I shouldn't click that link. That's for sure. Uh, but lucky for me, my dad works in television. He specifically does music for the background of reality TV. So it was just like, okay, does this company exist? Like, are they real? And so I sent him a screenshot of the email and he's like, yeah, that, that is a real company and they do work on all of those shows. Like it's probably a link that you could click. So it seemed fake. It was not <laughs> fake. It was an interesting audition process. He eventually got the news. It was, it was a flurry of events. It was a long audition process. And then when I finally got the official news that I was going to be uh, flying out to film for TBS's rat in the kitchen, um, it was, I think it was a Sunday afternoon. I was on a stroll and it was like, yep. And and so if you're able to leave Tuesday morning, uh, that'd be great. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess I got to go pack. So then I went and it was, yeah, it was an adventure. It was, it was a cool experience. And that show in particular was as much a game show as it was a cooking show. So it was, uh, it was like that game Among Us, which got popular kind of during pandemic and lockdowns. It was like Among Us applied to a cooking show. So it was six of us in the kitchen. We were all making a few dishes. And then there was one person in the kitchen who was like a saboteur. And so over the course of making food, over the course of a couple of rounds of different challenges and whatnot, we had to figure out who the rat in the kitchen was. And then if, if we voted on the rat in the kitchen correctly, the, the whole team got money. And then if you didn't vote for the rat, the rat got uh, a certain amount of money. Uh, and so it was worked out in like a, it was like a pass or fail on, on dishes you made. And they had like a certain monetary amount attached to them. So there was the team bank and the rat bank and different amounts got put into each. It was a crazy adventure, a super fun experience and a very validating one too. being someone who is, I mean, a fitness professional first and foremost, but just happens to like cooking to make it through that audition process and then be, you know, in the kitchen with like some powerhouse chefs that I have a ton of respect for was a really cool moment because I, I think it validated me even having the, the chef judge, Chef Ludo, who actually has a restaurant in Denver and, and some in L.A. as well. But having him walking by and be like, oh, hey, good knife skills. I'm like, ooh, like I'm getting compliments from an actual <laughs> yeah. chef about actual chef things, not just, you know, my mom commenting on an Instagram post saying that looks delicious. It had a little bit more weight when it was Chef Ludo. So it was a super validating experience, a super fun one as well, because it was like a family game night um, and an interesting adventure at that. So it was, yeah, it was, it was awesome on, on several, several levels. That's amazing. I remember seeing that, I'm like, you know, that's so, so phenomenal for you. And to, again, for you to be exploring a passion and just 
lean into that and just have it manifest into something frankly, probably so life-changing and just such a great aspect for, you know, your personal development, your skills and, and your business. Yeah. A fun feather in the cap for sure. It's, it's added a lot of legitimacy to the food stuff I talk about, which, you know, anyone can talk about anything they want on the internet, but having, having some, some actual like credentials, even though, you know, it's just TV, it's not like I've been to culinary school, but like, still it's like, ah, well, he's obviously not a complete fool or hopefully not at least, but yeah. Yeah. No, that's phenomenal. That's phenomenal. Well, Ben, thank you so much for being here. Where can we learn more about you? Where can we learn from you? Well, the, the best place is Instagram. So there's a lot of social media out there. And frankly, I don't have the bandwidth to play around on every single platform anymore. So Instagram is where I spend most of my time and attention, especially when it comes to teaching. Uh, so I, I post there often. I have uh, a series of videos where I break down popular recipe videos to give them nutritional context so that I can help food lovers be more fit. So I think that is the place to do it. I am the coach that cooks on Instagram. Um, so I would say that's the best place to do it. And then my DMs are like Denny's. They are always open. So anyone that's got questions about anything or just comments at all, like I'm, I'm always uh, very responsive there because again, that's where I'm spending most of my time. I'm not trying to play around on every, I, rather than doing every single social media platform mediocrely, I'm focusing on one and, and basically anyone there gets, gets my full, uh, my full attention, which, which allows me the, the possibility to actually get back to DMS and, and things like that. So Instagram is the, the best place to find me and to connect. And, and, you know, I, I love people and I love connecting. So by all means, reach out there, connect with me there. Uh, always happy to add more food lovers to the fold. Love that. One more question. Mm -hmm. You're on death row and I can't imagine you ever being there because you're such a kind human being, <laughs> but you can, you can prepare yourself one last meal. Oh, I'm cooking anything in your repertoire. Yep. What that, that, that creates an interesting twist. Okay. Okay. Um, I think the thing that I would budget make, is no concern. Sure. Sure. Well, yeah. I mean, but I think, I don't think I would make anything too crazy. Like, yeah, I could toss like caviar and expensive ingredients on stuff, but I am through and through a Southern California boy at heart. So tacos are a, a special thing to me. They always have been. Um, and I'm, I, I guess I'm picky with my tacos because I was raised around such great tacos and I make a, it's a, like a slow cooked pork shoulder, um, but it is chipotle and cacao. So I do this chipotle cacao uh, pork till it's like fall off the bone tender. Um, and then it's like a tequila lime pickled jalapeno up on top with a homemade green salsa. I feel like if I were making it for me, that's what I'd do. Cause that's going to be like fun, fancy and delicious, but also like that. I, I don't know if I'm on death row, I'm probably going to want something that feels comforting and tacos are, are always comforting. So I think, I think that's gotta be it. There are so many different things that, that came to mind, but that was the first one that like of, of the, the things that I could make that was like, mm, that that's the one that feels right between the tacos and the deliciousness that'll feel, you know, comforting in a moment where I think I'd need some comfort or in the very least lots and lots of delicious tacos. So that's, that's probably, <laughs> that's probably the, the one I would make for myself. And then something extravagant and fancy if somebody else was making it for me, I guess, but that's probably the one that feels right. Hey, I cannot fault you for that one at all. Gang, if you're listening to this right now, make sure you go over to the Coach That Cooks over on Instagram. Drop Ben a message, and we'll go from there. Thank you so much, Ben. Thank you, man. This has been great. Hey, it's Eric here again. Now, there are three ways that I can help you look great naked. Number one, if you want to grab a free copy of the Look Great Naked Protocol to help you lose body fat without counting calories, then go to bachperformance.com backslash free training. Number two, if you're a busy guy looking to build muscle, then I recommend checking out our Minimalist Muscle Blitz, which has helped over 1,000 men build muscle without living in the gym. Just go to minimalistmuscleblitz.com. 
The link will also be available in the show notes. Or number three and last, if you want to work with me directly and get the best results possible, apply at bachperformance.com backslash coaching to look great naked without living in the gym. Until next time, my friend, 